You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Well, keep that Bible handy because I'm going to be calling your attention back to it. We are in the longest chapter in the New Testament, in case you're thinking this is taking a while. This is the longest chapter in the New Testament, so hang with us here. And there are four main events that happen in it. You've got... um, Remember, Gabriel, the angel, appears to Zechariah and says, even in your old age, even the fact that your wife can't have children, she's going to have a child. And we know that's going to be John the Baptist. Now, Zechariah doesn't believe at first, and so uh, he's not able to speak until what you heard today, until his belief opens his mouth. Um, And uh, then second, you've got that Gabriel went and appeared to Mary, who responds differently. She responds in faith. She says, how will this be because I'm a virgin? But she's really saying, how are you going to do this thing that you've said you're going to do? Whereas Zechariah went, I need a sign. I need some kind of confirmation that this is what you will do. Now, Mary and Elizabeth are relatives, and so they go, and um, Mary goes and visits her relative Elizabeth. That's the third thing that happens. We looked at that last week. And Mary has this song of praise, the Magnificat. It starts out in Latin, it's Magnificat uh, anima mea dominum, which is the Latin. And so we just call it the Magnificat. Um, My soul magnifies the Lord. So those are three things that have happened. And now what you have is today we're going to see the birth of John the Baptist. Verse 57, at the time, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. Remember, Elizabeth had gone into seclusion, and so, um, and Zechariah couldn't speak, and so this is like her relatives, her kin, her, her neighbors. Elizabeth, like, have you seen Elizabeth? I haven't seen Elizabeth lately, and then here she comes, and it's like, ta-da, she's got her baby, and so they're surprised by this, and then they're a good Jewish couple, because they do what they're supposed to do. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but her mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Let me explain a little bit about naming in the ancient world. They didn't have the uh, sonogram and ultrasound technology to be able to tell the gender of the child, the sex of the child before they're born. And now in this instance, God is the sonogram because he says, you're having a son, Mary, you're having a son. Other than that, a lot of times they would have no clue. And so um, sometimes they wouldn't do a, they wouldn't do a, let's get a boy and let's get a girl name just in case. And the pressure we feel about like, before we leave the hospital, we've got to have the name of this child. They would generally have a name. They would have kind of that eight day window. And then on the eighth day, when they were circumcised in the Jewish community, they would have a name for the child. And you would assume when it was a boy that it would be named after Zechariah first and foremost. And so actually when it, when it, um, when it says they would have called him Zechariah, it's actually saying they, um, they were calling him Zechariah. Meaning they were so assuming this was going to be the child's name, they're just going, oh, little, little Zechariah Jr. here. And, um, and then imagine when Mary says, no, his name will be John. How is this the case? How do they know this? And what, what, what is, what's, what's going on here? Elizabeth has a choice of submitting to the cultural pressures to name him Zechariah. And Zechariah can't speak for himself right now. So she can kind of do whatever she wants. She could just make up a crazy name if she wanted to, I suppose. But she has been told that the baby is to be called John. And so everybody's already a little bit confused. Wow, she, she had this baby. And then here we go. And they're coming to name it. And they're like, I'm assuming it's Zechariah. And she says, no, it's John. 
And so she has to choose, do I go with the culture or do I say what God has revealed to us? And she says, I'm gonna go with God. And she says, his name is John. Now what they do next is they look to dad to overturn mom's decision because he could have done that in that culture. And so they go, mm, I don't know about this. So they made signs to his father because they didn't understand verse 61. They said, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to the father inquiring what he was to be called. This is why some think not only Zechariah couldn't speak, but he was also deaf and couldn't hear because they're having to make signs to him to try and communicate with him. They're looking to him to overturn his mom's de- the mom's decision and follow the cultural conventions, and he doesn't. He, he asked for his iPad. It says he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. You remember early on what happened was um, he, he balked and he hesitated. That's why he's not able to speak. And now he has a moment of going, do I, now do I demonstrate my faith in God and say his name is John? Even though people are saying, why would his name be John? You're losing your opportunity to have little Zachariah Jr. And he says his name is John. He, he didn't believe before. Now he does. And his faith opens up his mouth. And it says they all wondered. When you see biblically, when you see the word wondered, it's technically an okay translation, but you have to think in terms of like awe and wonder, that they would look with just this awe, this, this awe, this wonder would fill them. Sometimes we think they looked and they wondered like they're going, now I wonder, like wondering about asking a question. So another way to translate it would just be marveled. They all Marveled. Why isn't he Zechariah? Okay, Elizabeth says John. That's nice. Let's see what Zechariah wants. His name is John. And they're marveling at this. They are touched somehow by this. This is a group of people that's there for this Jewish rite of circumcision with this child. This is, Luke uses this later in Luke chapter two. The shepherds go, when they finally see Jesus born, they go and they're just telling everybody. And it says, everybody that heard wondered. They marveled at the news that the Christ child was there. In verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he began and he spoke, blessing God and fear came on all the neighbors and all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then shall this child be for the hand of the Lord was with him. Let me give you a contrast when you see something in the Bible. I don't want it to um, give us justification to do something we're not supposed to do. When it says storing something up in our heart, um, it, it means some kind of incomprehension. It means I'm seeing something happen, I don't fully grasp it, and so I'm just, I'm just sort of tucking that away in my heart, in my mind. Now, in our culture, what happens a lot is we have a question and then we just sort of go, I just, I'm just going to carry this question with me. In, in this culture, when they talk about the incomprehension they have storing it up in their hearts, the idea is they're ready, they, they long for clarification. Like they long for an answer to that question. So think about this. You're, you're living your life and then some great tragedy befalls somebody dear to you. And you look and you go, I, I, don't, I don't understand how this could happen. A lot of times we can just stop and just go, I, I don't understand this. And we can just, we call them living with open loops. Or as my wife likes to say, um, sometimes she'll say she has open tabs, like on your browser. 
and we'll, we'll, I know exactly what she means when she says it. We'll usually like lay down in bed or something and I'll, and she'll go, I'm sorry, I have to, I have some open tabs. I need to close some tabs. And what happens is she has 37 different things that we need to sit down and talk about. And so I'll go, all right, let's, let's close some tabs. And then she'll go, okay, Tuesday night, we've, we have to be in two places at once. Can you drive here or here? Okay, I'll drive here. All right, good. So this is like, we'll talk calendar. We'll talk, she'll have questions and she's just going, I just need to close tabs. I do a similar thing at times. I go, I have five things on my brain and I have to just dump them on you here. Sometimes that's how we live. And you may know that um, what, what comes with that, like the weight you can feel of just walking with these open loops or open tabs. And what they're doing, what they did is very different when there's some kind of open loop, when there's something you don't have an answer to. I'm going to encourage you to seek that answer instead of just, I'm just going to store it up here. I'm just going to hang on to that one. Because if we just have all these unopened questions, then we can just walk around with a weight of this mystery instead of really pressing into the mystery to say, how, how could this have happened? And I just want to tell you, because there might be people today that are going, that's me to a T. I've got all these open loops. I don't understand this about God. How could he have let this happen? How could, you know, fill in the blank? One of the gifts that God gives us are his people. He gives us his people to walk through this together. And so I'd, I'd encourage you, a first step is to say, who's somebody that knows God, loves God, and I might be able to sit with them and go, can you help me make some sense of this? Press into the questions that we have. And then verse 67 says this. This is Zechariah's response. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, and we're gonna pause right there for just a moment. Mary has just had her Magnificat, and then right after that, Zechariah has his. There's similarities, and there's also differences. Mary's, for example, started very narrow and then got broad. She starts and says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and then she talks about the blessings of God to the ends of the earth. Zechariah's is going to start broad, and then it's going to get real narrow to talk about John the Baptist. But the other thing to note, Mary has a song of praise she is singing to God, and look at what Zechariah is doing. It says he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and it says he prophesied. Now, prophecy, we tend to think of it as Old Testament somebody predicting something, but really what's happening is it is, the, it is somebody who is speaking for God to others. Zechariah is speaking this in this time at the, this, uh, the circumcision ceremony for his child, and there's others there, and he is speaking from God to them. This is God speaking, and I, I have to, I hope I communicate this in a way because I think that, that captures you because I think this is so, so, so important. If you remember the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the promises to the Israelites, and Israel is up and down and up and down. We'll see that in just a minute. And we'll see that they are just looking forward to the day the Messiah is going to be here. The problems, the problem of sin is going to be taken care of. The, the rituals that you're going through, the cleansing of sin, someone is going to come, the Messiah, and he's going to fulfill that. They are waiting and they are longing. And in the meantime, they're seeing empires rise, empires fall, and it just seems like little old Israel is just forgotten about. And they are yearning and longing that the Messiah is going to come. Old Testament. 400 years between the Testaments. We call it the intertestamental period. And sometimes we just call it the silent years. The reason it's called the silent years is because God was silent. There's not new prophecy given in this time between the two testaments. And so what they're waiting for is this Messiah is going to get here, and that comes New Testament. So think about this. 
waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and God speaking and God raising up prophets and using the prophets and they're hearing a word from the Lord and then all of a sudden, this 400 years, do you think that anybody in that time ever looked back and went, I guess God didn't keep his promise? God's not gonna be able to keep his promise. That pain of just sitting in silence and waiting for salvation, the rescuer that is supposed to come from God. And then Zechariah prophesies. God is breaking his silence as Zechariah is breaking his silence. Don't miss that. After 400 years, the last word of our Old Testament is the word curse. They are waiting for the Messiah to come because they're living in this darkness. The silence of God is over. Phase two is here. God's talking again. What's he saying? And I'd sum up the next part by saying salvation is here. John the Baptist is the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. And what he's going to do, he's going to give a ton of Old Testament references to show this. And I, I break this after verse 75. He gives a history of salvation, and then he talks about the expected salvation um, that they have. Verse 68, look at it with me. It says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has, he's done two things, visited and redeemed his people. This is called, um, uh, this a prophecy that Zechariah is giving is sometimes called the Benedictus because it sounded very Texan. I'm sure it's Benedictus or something like that. I don't know. Not like there's any ancient Romans here that are going to correct me, but you got it. All right. It's called the Benedictus. And the reason it's called that is, is from that first word, blessed be or praise be. And the word is Benedictus. So um, at the end of the service, I'll stand up or someone stands up and we offer a benediction. It is a, it is a blessing as you go. That's what he's saying. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Why? He's done two things. Visited and redeemed his people. The word for visited is the word of a, um, a doctor going to visit a sick person in their home. That the doctor who is healthy would go to the sick and to offer them healing. It would um, bring up reminders of Exodus chapter 4. I told you a lot of Old Testament. The, um, the Exodus is in view here. Exodus chapter 4, Moses is spoken to in the wilderness, and then he goes, the elders come to him, and they say, go back and tell all the Israelites in captivity that God has spoken and that he's going to set his people free. And it says, the people believed, and when they heard the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their head and worshiped. God visited. God came down. God did not forget about them. And then it also, um, it says God visited and he has redeemed his people. And again, you go to the Exodus story to talk about the deliverance of his people. That's what that means. Um, Pharaoh makes them work harder and harder. And it says, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arms and with great acts of judgment, that God did the work to deliver his people. God sent the plagues. In fact, you know, the last one was the Passover lamb. And what happened? It was um, the, the, the angel passed over and um, the Egyptians, the firstborn died and the Israelites didn't. And you know why? They got the punishment of God and they didn't. Is because they would go to their door, they would get the blood of a newborn lamb and they would spread it and they were saved because of the blood 
of the Lamb. God has done the work in visiting them and redeeming them. And then what has he done? He's raised up, it says in verse 69, it says, um, raised up a horn of salvation for us from the, uh, excuse me, in the house of his servant David. When you see horn of salvation, don't think a trumpet. Think like an elk or something, okay? It's that kind of horn, all right? Like a unicorn, all right? Unicorn, I don't know why I went there. Anyway, uh, that horn. It's singular, I guess, I don't know. Rhino, I could have said. Anyway, um, so the horn of salvation is this. Like if you picture a crown and it's got the, the ridges on it, some say, some have referred to those as horns. And it's this idea, the symbolism of, of power. But it's also, it's not just power, it's um, the horns in the Old Testament, the horn of salvation is in Exodus chapter 29, and um, when they were to spill the blood of the sacrifice, they would spill it over, it says, the horns of the altar. And so culturally, you have this idea of strength, and then also the Israelites would have understood it, that what he's talking about is the grace of God. The strong forgiveness, the strong salvation of God himself. David uses this in, Psalm, or in 2 Samuel 22. He's delivered from his enemies. Saul's also, uh, he's out of sorts with Saul and chasing him. God has delivered him and he says, listen to this strong language. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold, my refuge, my savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I am saved from my enemies. Back to Zechariah, look at verse 70. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who save us. He's saying God has spoken in the past, those promises came to fruition, and he's about to talk salvation going forward, and he's gonna say God has been faithful to save in that way. He's gonna be faithful to save in this way. He says to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Here's one of the things he's just said that you can't miss. He's talking about this has been promised from, um, at, at that time, a couple thousand years ago. Listen to how, what Martin Luther says about this. Um, because if it's promised in the past, then it has nothing to do with our own merits. You got that? If it has something to do with God has already promised, God has done it before we were even born, then all of a sudden it has nothing to do with our own merits and our own goodness. Here's what Martin Luther says, commenting on this passage. If then such a mercy was promised and sworn to the ancestors, it is clear that God is not merciful and gracious to us because of our merits, but solely out of grace. Those are pure thunderbolts against our merits. Listen to this, for I cannot boast of my own strength when the text says, you promised it a thousand years before I was born. And who would have asked God about it before that time? Already long before that, this, he had decided that he wanted to do it. By doing so, he shuts up our mouths. See how you stand in grace and in the kingdom of mercy. And you can't give yourself any credit for it, for I had already promised it before you knew anything about it. And so we have to say it's true. It is pure grace and blessing. He's talking about the promises made to Abraham. Do, do you know when the promise was made to Abraham? There were a couple times. Genesis 22 was one of the times. And one of the times, or one of the things he says to Abraham when he says, 
Um, By myself I have sworn you, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. Here's Here's what has just happened. God has said, sacrifice your only son to demonstrate your love for me. And Abram says, really? All right. And he takes him up for the sacrifice. Now, he keeps saying, God will provide the sacrifice. God will provide the sacrifice. But he goes all the way to strapping Isaac to the altar and pulling up a knife to slay him. And then as he's about to go, an angel says, stop. Now I see your level of devotion to me. Now I see that there's nothing more precious to you than me because you were willing to give your only son for me. That's what God is saying. And that's when he gives the promise to Abraham. I will bless you. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, the sand on the seashore. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Your offspring shall all the nations be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The promise is made to Abraham in the context of saying, Abram saying, I would give even my only son whom I love to demonstrate how much I love you. And we can read this in 2021 and look and go, God has given his son to demonstrate his love for us. He has given the highest price he could, pro- he could possibly give. It's like if he wanted to just shake us and go, do you not understand the depth of my forgiveness? Do you not understand how desperately I love you? I'm willing to give my own son and I didn't stay the executioner's, executioner's hand. He died for you that you can be in relationship with me. The price that was paid was huge. And if we don't understand that, we don't understand God's love. Think about it like this. Um, suppose my, uh, my daughter is driving her car and, um, God forbid, has some kind of wreck and it, um, you know, maybe there's a loss of life, definitely some property damage, whatever, and then somebody comes out and says, uh, like say the, the dad comes out and he says, you know, this happened, your daughter's guilty, I'm a lawyer, like, Ugh. and um, And here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna put her in prison for the rest of her life. Or you can pay me. And if I went, okay, I'm going, how much? And if he says, you'll have to pay me $10. Okay. (laughs) Let me pray about that one. Yeah, $10. And then how, is my, how does my daughter look at me? I basically did the very obvious thing. She's like, I could go get the 10 bucks myself and just do that. I could pay you back. I could pay you back tenfold over time, you know? Um, like, it, it, it's something like she wasn't bought with that great, her, her freedom wasn't bought with that great of a price. But imagine if the same scenario happens and, and uh, I say, well, how much does it cost? And then he names a number and it just happens to be to the penny, the amount that I have in all my life savings selling cars, selling anything we have. And without hesitation, I go, my whole life is completely different. She would never question my love and commitment to her. That's what he did on the cross. Every other, um, I don't like calling Christianity a religion, any other worldview, but any religion says you work your way up to God. The Bible says God has visited us and we trust in him. He has paid the highest price. We trust in him. We were out, um, we were, I was taking the, some of the staff here. We went out to lunch 
probably a couple years ago now, and um, we were um, having the meal at a, um, on the border, and uh, we're there, and uh, many of you know Pastor Ed, of course, and um, he, I think this is why she asked us, he prayed before the meal, and if you've ever prayed with Ed, hi Ed, before a meal, um, it's usually, he has one volume, and he just does it, and so he's like, I don't know, I kind of hope everybody hears that we're praying right now, and so he's praying, and I think that's why this question came up, because our waitress came up, and she said, are you all from, are you all from Red Rocks Church? And uh, I said, no, why do you ask? And she's, oh, I, I was just going to say thank you and, and just share some things. And I wanted to go, oh, yeah, then we're from Red Rocks. You know, I wanted to take it. But um, I, said, uh, I said, well, we're not, but, you know, do share. And um, they, have a, they have a ministry there called Red Rocks Behind Bars. And this young woman was behind bars in jail. And this ministry from this church, Red Rocks Church, went to her and shared Christ with her, and they started talking about God. And here's this young woman in prison going, not me. And in fact, I got, I, I, um, got her afterwards and, and talked for just a minute. The, the long and short of it is she, she got saved. She came to faith in Jesus Christ. And this person, this woman that came and visited with her, um, started sharing about how holy and righteous and good and wonderful God is. And she, and she said, um, uh, all that did was make her feel more and more guilty in her sin. She just went, oh, well, never mind. And it just made her go, there's no way I'm ever going to be good enough to be, to be you know, there. And, and, and so her phrase that she said, I'll, I'll never forget this. She said, so, so she's, you know, doing dishes and moving around and stuff or moving, whatever she's doing. And she says, the thing that came to mind is, why would a God like that want a girl like me? And if you're there ready to evangelize to a prisoner and somebody says, why would a God like that want a girl like me? You're going, oh, have I got some good news for you. Has nothing to do with how good or wonderful or righteous you are in and of yourself. The goodness of God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and he offers grace to you. Yes, even you. Her life has turned around. She's a waitress there, and this was a couple years ago, but last I saw, she was faithfully attending Red Rocks in service there at their church. And so, Zechariah moves from the, the greatness of salvation that God offers to what John the Baptist is gonna do. He says, verse 76, you child will be called the prophet of the most high. There hasn't been prophecy and now here he is, the prophet of the most high. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And here it is, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Preserving them from their enemies that he had done is good. He's saying John the Baptist is going to go and he is gonna save people, he is going to announce the one who is going to save people from their sins. That's better. That, that's better than just being rescued from your enemies. Listen, um, one of the things that came to mind for me as I'm thinking about this is some of you have, um, have neighbors or relatives or, or grown kids or something that, that you have just been investing in, you've built relationships with, you have helped them in great times of need, but I know enough of you haven't opened your mouth to speak the truth of the salvation that comes in Jesus Christ to them. Time's up. Do it. Do it. 
Like helping people in life is vital. That is really, really good. Telling them the good news of Jesus Christ so they can understand, yes, even them, so they can come to faith in him. That is better. But we can stop sometimes right here. I'm I'm just helping. I'm just setting a good example. I'm just setting a good witness. And if I could light a fire to say, talk salvation, talk about God, invite them to church. If they don't want to come here, go to their church for a Sunday. Go be with them and help them know salvation for their souls. <laughs> Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness, to the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace, to shine on those in darkness living in the shadow of death. You might recall from Isaiah chapter nine, the people who walked in darkness had seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone verse 80, the child grew, became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And that's 30 years in one verse, by the way. Bible doesn't tell us everything we want to know. It just tells us what we need to know. I'd like to know what happened in those 30 years. I bet there were some great conversations. I bet there was some really neat stuff, but for whatever reason, that's the summary that we have. So listen, let me, let me sum this up like this. What has just happened? God has been silent, and Israel, if you don't know the history of Israel, just think about Adam and Eve. You can go all the way back there. Adam, don't do this one thing. Eve, don't do this one thing. They do it right off the bat. Think about um, Abram, a guy, Abraham, a guy that we hold up, and then you can, if you read his life, you can see all his, all his sin. You can see uh, Moses, for example. Moses got started by, he murdered a guy and was out in the wilderness. Um, Moses didn't even get to go in the promised land because he disobeyed God. Can you imagine like being, I'd be so frustrated to be God because I would just look and I would go, just, just do this. Hey, Israel, you're wandering in the wilderness. I'm gonna miraculously provide from heaven for you so you can eat. I've got a land for you that's gonna be so great and so much better. Here's your thing though, when you get in the land, don't forget about me. And they get in the land and they forget about God. And then what happens? They have judges. And you know the theme of the book of Judges is everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They forgot about God. Thanks, God, for getting us this far. We got it from here. And then they went, well, judges aren't working. We want a king because all the pagan nations have kings. God goes, you don't want kings. You want judges. Oh, we'll take a king, thank you. And how did that work? Split the kingdom. Empires come in and just take Israel over. They're, um, they're compromising. They're, we're, we're studying the book of Malachi in our Bible studies, and there's, there's just in that little book at the end of the Old Testament, there's so many things that Israel is doing wrong and has to be rebuked for. They're intermarrying with people of other faiths, the pagan religions around them, which God has explicitly said don't. Um, they are, the priests are going in and um, they're crying crocodile tears, it's, or not it says, but um, that's the phrase for, um, for um, acting like they're sorry for the sins of the nation and they're not and God busts them for it and says you're not even sorry for your sin and you're crying and you think I'm buying it but I'm not and on and on and on they just keep getting spanked because they're just well they're like us right and what happens Zechariah opens his mouth and speaks and it is a clear way of God saying you've got another chance How are you doing with the second, third, fourth, fifth chances that God has given you to bask in his grace and his forgiveness? 
Just when you thought maybe you've exhausted the mercy of God, you need to know that you can't out the cross of Jesus Christ. God's grace is gargantuan. Some people may be like Zechariah where we've come to a big moment, you know, and the, hey, you're gonna have this child and then we just blew it and we didn't believe. And what happens? He goes, all right, Zechariah, take two. And he opens his mouth to speak sacred words. We don't get it right the first time sometimes. We listen, we learn, we grow. But this is a statement of second chances and we need them constantly. It's the reason why on January 1st every year, you don't just eat 700,000 calories and then not eat the rest of the year. You need a couple thousand calories or so a day. Why don't you just stuff your face with all those on January 1st? Then you don't have to mess with watching the clock and eating times and all that. You just kind of, you're good. You got it all there and now you're good. We're not made that way. We need food on a regular basis to remain healthy. When we're talking about, when you talk about grace, please don't just think of it as, I came to faith sometime in the past. We, it's not just we got so much and now we're full. It is we need daily grace from God. And God is there to offer it again and again. There was a, a wealthy man who um, had an annual allowance that he was promising to his son And um, they saw each other quite a bit. Then he promised this allowance. And then over time, what he realized is he would start seeing him once a year. And it was the time when the son was like, hey, just checking in. Oh, as long as I'm here. And so he changed it up. And he would only give him enough for that day. And he would take the allowance and live that day and then go back to his dad and back to his dad and back to his dad. The way we are called to live as Christians is to know that we have the grace of God and he is there offering it again and again and again. And we live in relationship with him being reminded of the grace that he offers.